Welcome to The Rodcast with Rod Turner, the show all about real estate. We discuss everything that affects asset-backed businesses, investments, and go deep into the details with some of the best in the business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Rodcast. Today's guest is Ian Humphreys. Ian has been in property finance for over 15 years and is the co-founder of Brickflow, the UK's first search engine for development finance, which helps experienced developers resolve the frustrations and combat challenges that we have in every day trying to find finance for development. So welcome, Ian. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ron. Good to be here. So, Ian, I guess we'd better start with a quick intro about what Brickflow is and then kind of a bit of an intro about you as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, the easiest way to explain it is really sort of money supermarket for property developers. So we digitally connect borrowers and lenders. Um, so your project details into the search engine, and then an algorithm does its clever stuff and basically searches all the lenders on the platform. It then gives you in a clear list which lenders can lend you the most amount of money at the best price. And then once you're, you're happy with your options, you click on apply. And rather than having a different application process for every single lender, you have one application process, which is then accepted by all the lenders. So basically, you've got what sometimes is a process that takes you know, weeks and months condensed into two minutes for the search and 25 minutes for the application. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a bit of a cynic when it comes to anything like this. And I had a look at it and I just thought it's absolutely fantastic. I've got to admit, I'm not great with brokers at the best of times for development finance and anything that actually kind of cuts out a middleman in, in anything I think is, is great and it, it's so easy to use and the rates are getting from kind of other, from those development lenders. So you've got some of the big development lenders on there and um, yeah. when I put kind of our, our deal in, we found they were extremely competitive and I think you've had situations where almost the lenders kind of auction it turns into a bidding process for which lenders actually want the deal sometimes yeah it can do i mean the, the way that it works is you kind of shortlist the lenders so that the initial search is very high level right so it's searching location loan quantum asset type it's not really looking at anything about the borrower and then obviously we need to look at the asset and the project in more detail so the initial search is really just a high level that look, if we like the borrower and we like this project, this is how much we'll lend you and this is the price we'll lend to you. So what I would say is it's very much like a good way for developers to do due diligence on sites. So, you know, we talk to people who perhaps have 10 projects on their desk that they've been sent by various people. They run them all through the search engine and actually be able to dismiss eight of them immediately because they realise they can't make them work. The economics aren't there on the deal. So immediately, yeah, they can then concentrate on the two that do work and, and start getting into the nitty gritty of those deals. But once you've done that search, if you go through the application process, then some of those lenders might filter out further. So, for instance, um, you know, the, the price point per square foot might be too high for some of the lenders. And that's not covered off on that first search, yeah. but it's covered off in the in the application. So. Yeah you might find you have like 10 lenders or 12 lenders that have sourced. And then by the time you go through the application process of your experience as a developer and the actual project, you might find three or four of those dropouts. You're left with eight. 
we wouldn't send it to all eight. We normally send it to the top three or four. And then you do find that lenders are as competitive as they can be, as, as their uh, balance sheets allow. And, and that's really, we're starting to see some really good evidence of that. And borrowers getting deals, which I honestly couldn't believe that we've sourced. So it's, pro- it's early, early stages, but it's very promising. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was really, really good. So tell us a bit about your background then and what kind of got you into Brickflow and to create it. Uh, yeah, so... Finance is all I've ever done. So I left university, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, knew I wanted to work in London in finance, and that was kind of it, really. And um, I fell into mortgages accidentally. It was actually a friend that, that sort of got me into it. Did mortgage exams, worked for like quite a big brokerage for a while, then worked with some other guys who set up our own company, then decided that I wanted to, to do something slightly different with, with technology, I think. And I did a bit of property development myself as well. So I've done a few projects where I've been the borrower. I then, I'd seen the industry from the inside as a broker, like an intermediary. I then was a a developer. And I realized that actually the system is completely broken. Um, For a lot of developers, the hardest part of the scheme is getting the finance. And this is, I think, the main point to take away is that you know, getting finance is, is relatively easy. It's getting the right finance. And that's where a lot of people don't understand the distinction. So what Brickflow is trying to do is show you actually that there'll be an optimum point. The way development finance is calculated is, is super complicated. There's so many variables that go into it. There's so many little nuances that each lender has about the types of deal they want to do. So if you ask 10 lenders, if you speak to 10 lenders on a site about your project, they'll give you 10 different answers about how much they will lend to you and at what price. Okay. So 60% of GDV and keeping under 70% of costs. Well, I think that's the point is that most people look at GDV. If I look at loan to GDV as the metric, so I have this conversation with people where they say, well, my lender lends 65% loan to GDV. So, okay, but I also know they loan 80% loan to cost. And you're topping out on the cost metric, not the GDV metric. Yeah. So if I go to a lender that lends you 90% loan to cost and 65% loan to GDV, they're going to lend you more money. But then there's another variable which would say that on day one, that some lenders will cap the leverage they will give you against the site on day one. So if that lender is capping at 50%, all the other metrics could go in your favor. But if they won't lend more than 50% on day one, you're still going to have to find 50% of the purchase price. Some lenders don't have any cap. So in theory, you could get 100% of the purchase price. But people don't know this. And this is the point is that you, know, you speak to one lender, and you get their version of what they do on that site. If you speak to another nine lenders, they'll all give you a different version. So the chances of it being the best deal in the market when you speak to one or two lenders are practically zero. Mm-hmm. So we've got 23 lenders on the platform. We believe that the answer you're going to get is going to be better than the answer that you get if you're only going to speak to one or two. And incidentally, if you speak to 23 each time, it's going to take you like six or seven weeks. Yeah. yeah. So we can do that search for you in two minutes. And that's the point. Yeah, I've got to admit, I do fall into that bracket of these people that kind of, I got a bit sick of kind of going through the process of speaking to hundreds of lenders every time. So I would normally just put a deal out to two, maybe three lenders tops. And what you're saying is totally correct. I'm, I was missing out on a lot of opportunities of finance, which in some cases can make or break a deal. 
Well, I think that's it. I think we can speak about my theory on like, if done correctly, what this does to the market. But the thing I find most interesting with development finance is we take talking quite big numbers. So when you look at a residential mortgage, someone might be borrowing a few hundred thousand. And if one lender's offering 2% and one lender's offering 2.1%, it's not a huge difference. You know, you're talking, you know, pounds and pence a month. So most people are willing to sort of accept that. But when you're looking at development finance, the difference between margins can translate into tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of money that's spent on lender costs. Okay. But more importantly as well is the equity requirement. So lenders will ask for anywhere between sort of five, 10% of total costs up to 30, 40% in some cases. So if you speak into a lender at this end of the spectrum on a deal, which has 3 million of costs, which is not a big deal by development standards, you're asking, you're being asked for a million pound deposit, whereas at the other end, you'll be asked for less than 300,000. That's a huge difference. And the people that are at this end, they're speaking to investors and they get investors to come in and they're giving away half their profits just to make that deal work. Actually, that's a really bad deal. Go to the other end of the market, pay a bit more for your debt, but it's going to end up being a better deal for you economically. We say internally, debt's always cheaper than equity. So maximize your debt. And then the equity piece is, is the most expensive piece. And um, keep that to a minimum each time. Yeah, I think, well, you're certainly right that debt is, at the moment, I mean, the cheapest it's, it's been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, I know some people's kind of risk tolerance will be to take on less debt. And maybe, yep. again, when the market's going up, leveraging hard is going to maximize returns and when the market becomes a bit volatile you people might want to kind of exchange some of that debt for equity it's exchanging some of the risk for some of the reward but again it's i suppose that's on an individual preference but normally you find that developers do want to maximize those returns because they're confident in their deal and they're confident in their ability to carry it out and therefore putting in a lower amount of equity for a similar amount of return or a proportionally higher amount of return is going to be much more beneficial too. Yeah, absolutely. I think on the flip side of that argument as well, is if you look at that, that metric we just talked about, a million and 300,000 for the same deal, if you go at this end and you're putting 300,000 into the deal, you can do three of those deals. So actually you're threading your risk because you're into three projects where if one fails, you've still got two. A million into one project... If that fails, then you stand to lose a lot more. So there is, um, there is an element of being able to spread risk as well. Yeah, I think if I'm going to be pedantic, yes, but you could look at it as <laughs> risk are you concerned of. And if it's a market risk, then you're stuffed either way. But Absolutely. Yeah. But if you you're don't off. deliver the right product to market and you get some sticky sales and there's an opportunity cost, isn't there? Because, you know, if you can't sell or you have to refinance rather than sell, you're then left with 25, 30% equity in the deal because you can only remortgage at 70, 75% of value rather than 100% if you sell. So then your next deals, your pipeline of deals suffers or your potential pipeline of deals suffers because your equity stuck in the deal. Like you say, I think it is very much down to the individual uh, and the risk they want to take. The way I kind of look at it is that if you're borrowing any part of the equity piece, then you might as well borrow it as debt rather than equity. Well, certainly Uh, at the moment when it's this cheap. There's a lot of competition at the moment. Absolutely. And there's a lot of money around that is trying to be placed as well because people are concerned about having kind of capital sitting in the bank rather than being invested, especially when you've got 
long-term bonds at the prices they're at. Well, I think I think that's it. I mean, that's a wider economic or issue is is that you know certainly for the next decade, you know, interest rates going to have to stay ridiculously low so governments can afford to pay off their own debt. So you have a lot of money, investor money, washing around at the moment wants to find a place that gives them a better return. And and I think you know you're starting to see a lot of the big PE and VC funds sort of coming into property. Lloyd's announced today that they're going to become a private landlord. And you've got all these different banks, not just pension funds, now coming in and seeing residential property as long income and and a good fixed income comparison to what's traditionally been more on the bond market. Well, I think if you look at sort of BTR and PRS kind of models, I mean, we're really only at the beginning of that. I mean, the, the numbers for, for PRS bill to rent are huge uh, or projected numbers. I mean, what's in the pipeline is very big. And we're actually speaking a lot more to people. It's really interesting, actually. I mean, 10 years ago, every single developer you spoke to was selling everything that they were building. Whereas now it's not quite the other way. But I would say that 50, 60 percent of developers are looking to retain most of their stock. Absolutely. And I think I'm a perfect kind of case study for that. So before 2014, everything was sold that that Mm. I did, everything. And from about 2014, 2015, really the turning point, well, two turning points for me, one was the London market, because I'm based and was operating mostly in London. But the second one, and arguably more important, was the rental stress test. So when doing a development, I wanted to have that second exit, I don't know, the poo hit the van, I can then go and refinance and pay off my senior debt. And that caused an issue with the rental stress test, meaning that often it was unable to pay off my senior debt through refinancing onto a term loan. And that really kind of killed a lot of deals. And so now I think people are a lot more aware of that and are concerned. So it's not maybe just because they're looking at holding the properties, but it's just looking at having two exits, one to sell, one to refinance. And and if you look at the worst case, which can often be in their view to refinance, can does the deal work and can the term refinance loan pay off their senior debt? And if the, if the answer to that is yes, then the rest is hopefully upside. And I think that's a big change. And then obviously the bill to rent and the pension fund seeing residential property as more of a institutional investment going forward, then there's obviously benefits having a, a fixed income kind of investment there for other other funds to buy if whether it's an investment yield or whether it's an end user buying absolutely i think also as well you know the with that space you know the people are sort of looking at the stabilization period and then selling you know perhaps two or three years down the track Definitely, you know, yeah. that, and then you get some yield compression and actually you're able to sell a higher value than if you sold a practical completion a hundred percent i think that's a really really kind of interesting topic almost on its own to discuss kind of the stabilization or securitization of of the income and what's been happening over the past and how i don't know typically residential property might have sold in the past at maybe i don't know an eight percent yield is now looking at almost a four percent yield which is that's a hundred percent difference yeah 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 so i think there are massive massive kind of headwinds coming from that which again it looks positive for property prices going forward and, and again for developments like I think you were kind of alluding to really. Yeah I mean build, build to rent is a very different sector like when you speak to valuers about it they, they expect 
different things from abilities is an obvious one. But um, I think you're starting to see people getting coming down the curve. So getting interested in smaller, more boutique sites. And I think if you can demonstrate the model over sort of two or three years, you know, you've got good occupancy rates, good yield, then people will buy it. And I think you will start seeing more of that model. I mean, you look at Germany and the US, I mean, the build to rent model is a lot more mature than it is in the UK. And you took in, you know, 35% of the market, I think, in Germany is sort of fills that sort of professional landlord model. Whereas in the UK, you know, it's still single digit. Yeah, we had Alan Chilton, who's um, the head of capital markets for Patrizio, which is a, a massive residential fund that, that operates over in the US, Europe. Yeah. They've got, I think it's just under 50 billion in residential assets. And they were saying exactly the same stuff, like Italy, Germany, it's a ma- and, and the US, is, it's a massive market and it's still really in its infancy in the UK. So they're, quite, they're pretty positive on, on the UK for that side of things. Yeah, I think everyone is. I mean, also as well, I mean, I think pretty much every lender on our panel has said this, has reached out to us this year and says they, you know, they have plenty of money to lend. And, yeah. and a lot of that's on the back of last year, not lending much at all, right? No one saw last year. Everyone had a target. No one hit their target. So this year they are looking to sort of uh, get money out. They've had redemptions, but then they didn't have the origination piece. So there is definitely a lot of competition for, for property. So from the investor side, also for lenders. So I think for any developer in the space at the moment, it really is a good time. Yeah. Um, you've got very good state support. Um, you know, you've got very good sort of incentives for, for buyers. Help to buy is obviously changing, but then there's sort of advent of 95% mortgages sort of perhaps counters that slightly. And then, like I say, you've got this wash of money that wants to be in property. I mean, some of the, the sort of equity pieces that we see on deals now where there's equity loans, you know, that is ridiculously how cheap you can borrow equity now. So there is definitely, it's make hay, I think, for property developers. Yeah, well, yeah, funny you say that. We've just been doing a deal and um, I, I totally agree. <laughs> we looked at the, uh, the cost of equity and um, there wasn't much difference between that and the debt, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, really surprising. And I think, I think from a, I don't know, if I was a lender, I'd be looking at it, well, okay, if I'm lending as debt, at least you know if that project overruns, you're still getting paid proportionally for that. But on equity, look, it's a, if you look at the IRR of what you're lending out, the annualised return, it's, it's, and something overruns, well... That's only going to be beneficial if you've got a rising market to kind of back that up. So yeah, yeah I mean, I think a lot of um, equity uh, deals are structured with priority returns and things like that. So I think there is, you know, the developer is still sort of at the back of the queue. But yeah, I mean, there's loads of different ways it can be structured. But you're right; it's sort of worrying if we do go into a protracted downturn. Um, and that's always a risk with development: is that you're looking at deals, you know, two years you're delivering in two years time you know what's the market going to be like in two years we know what it's like today it's being pumped up it's on steroids from the government and but you know what's it going to look like in two years and and hopefully we've come through coronavirus brexit and and all of that and and it's actually quite rosy yeah Um, but if you're out the ground at the moment and perhaps you're only six nine months into your project are you going to come to market where perhaps it's not a great opportunity which then goes back to what we were saying before about can you refinance can you 
refinance, put it onto a buy to let, you know, get it quite well, get it managed properly, mm. you know, treat your tenants as, as customers rather than tenants, you know, get happy people in there that then refer their friends and you've got like a nice little ecosystem then in two or three years time probably attracts a much higher premium to an institutional investor. Definitely. I, do you know, I was having this conversation early this morning right. on a text and it was about, it was kind of on the news that Lloyds are coming into the market as a, a private landlord. Yeah. What that means. And kind of, we were saying, well, because in the headline it said they're looking at not just new, but also existing stock. Yeah. And so I was quite surprised by that existing stock. And I was, I was sort of saying, I'll be interested to see actually how much of their investment into the landlord space does go on existing stocks. I think it's going to be, that might be a struggle for them. But whatever it means or whatever they do, one thing that I think is going to happen is that landlords are going to have to put a lot more capital expenditure in to their assets than they have been doing maybe for the last 10, 20 years Absolutely. in order to keep up with that whole idea of you're treating your, your tenant as a customer. And it needs to be like a hotel, doesn't it? You need to have yeah. all the more cons. You the hospitality have... industry. That's yeah. what it's yeah, yeah. turning into, really, isn't it? The existing stuff is probably only going to be a few years old at most, so it's going to be anything that's built in the last five years, well, I would think. Developers of excess stock, that type of thing. But also, I imagine they're going to have hurdle rates and they're not going to be wanting to buy the odd house here and there. It's going to no, be... the unbroken on, on apartments, unbroken freeholds the key. Um, I mean, you see that already in the institutional lending space. Pension funds want to lend on unbroken blocks. They don't, you know, if you built 20 flats and you sell 10 of them, they don't want the other 10. They won't lend on that. That's not just to purchase, that's to lend as well. Mm-hmm. So if you are a developer that that is um, got one eye on, on a sort of build to rent model, then, you know, keep everything. Uh, houses is different, but if it's apartments, keep everything because otherwise it becomes a lot less attractive. Yeah, they, those pension funds end up losing control of, of total what they obviously don't want to do. So look, we've had a bit good kind of conversation as to where, where you kind of felt that the opportunities were for Brickflow to come into that development market. Do you think, like, how do you think kind of tech is disrupting the property lending space in general? Because we're seeing a lot of these new platforms start to to come out. I know over the last sort of five years, there was always talk of a mortgage you could kind of do online and it was just done. And that doesn't seem to have ever come to kind of... I think in the resi space, it's almost fully automated if you want it to be. Um, If you look at what's happening with Habito and and Trussell and Mojo, you know, they're really sort of taking to new levels what you can do in the resi space. So you're now starting to see, I think the acceleration of tech will be much quicker now. Mm. Um, because you kind of want, it's a bit like what we've done. You build a platform, that takes a lot of time. But then sort of doing the next bit, the next sort of 20% is actually much quicker. And although it's sort of, it's more detailed, but it's actually a lot quicker to, so, you know, I'm thinking things like, you know, if I want to plug in a credit score into our platform now, that'd be pretty simple because I can go to Experian, I can take their API, I can plug it in and hey, presto, I can credit score everyone. We don't do that at the moment, just for the record, but, <laughs> but um, a digital AML verification, you know, that would be something that we could plug in quite easily. AML, uh, sorry, AML um, uh, comps, we could plug that in. That That's something that we could do quite easily. Bill costs. So there are lots of, I think in the prop tech space, I mean, the fintech space 
it's certainly in the residential and the buy-to-let in what we're doing sort of in the development space there, there are definitely people coming into it but i don't think anyone's really doing it as well as we do it at the moment but but that will change i'm sure but yeah i think you're going to really see over the next few years that 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 change significantly because you know going back to when i started sort of 17 18 years ago before we started Brickflow, that 15-year period, nobody had the process for getting a development loan was exactly the same as it was 15 years ago. So this is kind of the last industry to be touched globally, I think, yeah. by technology. I think there's just a weird kind of it's this whole issue around property and the residential property in the UK and titles and things like that. And I think it goes back to kind of the conveyancing process, which is you look at any other country and it's ours seems just so archaic to that. Yeah. But it's because of the way titles are and the older buildings and things like that. But it, even so, it's, that's the most, one of the most frustrating things I find. And you think, God, when is that going to finally be sorted? When are we going to be using, I don't know, blockchain for contracts or something? I know in the pandemic, they only, Scotland had always said that, no, it's got to be wet signatures for everything. Yeah, yeah. Finally, they managed to accept at the land registry digital signatures. Digital signatures. Yeah, yeah. And they had moaned for about five years before that that they couldn't do it because it will take them years. And they did it in four weeks. <laughs> I think COVID will have a very positive impact on yeah. the industry as a whole, you know, longer term for those reasons. You know, we, when COVID first started, when we were in lockdown, pretty much every lender stopped lending because this was unprecedented. So, you know, value has stopped valuing. No, no one was going out to site. Whereas this, this third lockdown is business as normal. Like everyone is lending, valuers are going out, QSs are going out. It's taking a little bit longer, you know, to get your reports back and perhaps get some of the site visits scheduled. But it's, it, there's been such quick adaption to this new way of life. And, and I think we'll start to see a lot of things that, and going back to your conveyancing point, I think that's just the law or industry in general, isn't it? There's kind of this, reluctance to digitize yeah. a lot of processes and i think again there's there's quite a lot from you know people i speak to understand that you know in the law tech space there's quite a lot to come but going back to your original question i mean prop tech there's bundles you can do now um you know you can do your comps very easily online you can do your build costs you can get very accurate build cost forecasts now um you can find properties platforms such as nimbus we know them well and you know it's a great platform and you know then you've got mass reports the the planning guys and there's others as well and so i do think what's really good for sme developers now is it's starting to democratize the process so you did have like the big developers that have people that have whole teams that are dedicated to finding sites they have whole teams that are dedicated to finding the right finance Brickflow does that job of what a team would do you know you normally have someone that you're paying 100 grand a year in a business a big development business to fight to deal with that finance we kind of do a lot of that then you've got somebody else that deals with that you pay 80 grand a year just to deal with your planning and site finding you know platform there are platforms now that do that on a subscription yeah. service or as a pay-as-you-go service so you're starting to see this leveling up so i really do think for smes it's a great time i think um, it's such a good point there was something i can't remember what the stats were a few years ago about sme builders and developers and how much housing stock they put into the market 
pre-2007 and then after that they'd almost kind of been pushed out of the market by the bigger boys and but their contribution towards new homes was significant and before the it dropped as low as 12 percent and um and i think you're absolutely right and what a great point to make about kind of that helping kind of the smaller developers to get on board so do yeah. you think then traditional kind of development finance brokers and maybe just all these middlemen industries do you think that they're being made redundant now those those roles no i think you'll always find i think like with any industry automation is you know it's not for everything you cannot automate everything in every industry relationships is a tough one isn't it so relationships yeah but also i think you know at the moment you know software is binary it's it's kind of a yes or no whereas in property it's not always yes or no there's quite a lot of gray in the middle and you know there does need to be some human judgment and more of that will be eroded over time but i think if you look at the residential space mortgages i'm talking you know 80 percent of mortgages can be done through an automated workflow now. But it's only people that PAYE or have been self-employed for, for so long that they have, you know, e- easily... Well, over there's of SA302s and all exactly. that. Exactly. And they're borrowing low loan to value and, and all of that. They're bank, open banking bank statements. Nothing, fro- nothing throws up on there. They don't go to casinos or any of the things that banks don't like. Yeah. Um, that can absolutely slip through. And But then you're going to have always anomalies within that, right? You're going to have the person that's only been self-employed for 18 months or two years and, and therefore they can't be done. Or you've got someone that's in a new employment and, and therefore they've only been there a few, few months and, or they want a bit of an income stretch or there's an irregular entry on the bank statement, which then means a human has to look at it. So I do think there will always be a space for humans. And, and it's a bit like estate agents, if you look at that, a few years ago, everyone was saying estate agency is over. It never will be. I know agents. I think what technology does is it makes people have to up their game. So if you're a bad agent, you're not going to compete well with technology. But if you're a good agent, you're always going to be better than technology yeah. because you have that human side. You, you have that ability to build relationships that a computer can't. So I think you need, technology needs to be seen as an aid to a process to make it quicker, to make it easier, but not to replace. And that's really what we're sort of keen to uh, sort of promote with our um, software is that we're not here to replace anything. We're here to accentuate and, and make an experience better. Why should someone be able to bid on a property that has planning permission, that's ready to go, and then it takes six weeks, uh, sorry, six months to complete the loan? Like, that's just not fair on anyone. Yeah. Um, you should be able to do that in four to six weeks. And that's kind of what we're doing. So the search for your loan takes two minutes. Apply for it takes 25 minutes. That's something that can take people months. Um, mm. You know, so just make that process better. But in also in answer to your question about, you know, brokers, you know, we actually work with brokers. We have brokers that use our software. So we're actually very um, shortly launching a pilot program where brokers would be able to use our software. So no, very much not, I don't think. For a lot of developers, especially coming into space for the first time, this is quite esoteric as a space. You know, there's a lot of stuff in a development finance contract that you don't get in a regular mortgage contract. Yeah. For a lot of developers coming into the space, they can be overwhelmed by the amount of information that will be thrown at them, the, the new 
sort of terms that they're learning and, and the things to be mindful of in, in loan contracts. So they need good guidance. You know, good brokers will always be in this space because it is complex and it needs navigation. It needs experienced people to navigate. It would be nice if there was a tech solution for valuations, maybe something to make that more efficient. Like you can take the photos around your home next to today's newspaper and, uh, and then they can do the desktop from that or something along those lines. There is actually um, a tech in, because um, one of my friends works in InsureTech and there is actually a video uh, tech that they use and, and photos where you cannot doctor doctor them. Yeah. Um, so that you can't Photoshop. So that's something that's being used oh, that's or out in their industry. For that reason, in that you can photo a, a building and they know that photo is genuine. Yeah. So, we ask people on the platform to do site videos because it's something, you know, a lot of lenders will say, okay, well, we like it, but we want to go and see it. So, okay, we'll do a video and do some commentary. Not only do they get a bit of a feel about you as a developer, but they also have eyes on the ground, right? It makes their decision-making easier. So it's all about just these little things just to make it easier for everyone. Definitely. Obviously, Brickflow is not a particularly kind of old company i think you've been around sort of three or four years no three or four months and three or four months even yeah since we officially launched we launched at the end of october last year 31st so we've been around four months five. Oh wow um, okay i didn't realize yeah. it was that earlier so what's been biggest kind of challenges for you as the business getting to this stage then the biggest challenge is getting it launched it's really, really hard. Like the maths that sits behind the platform is really, it took us a long time to get that right. Then the delivery of it, I mean, it's still not right now. You know, we, we take feedback all the time and we're, we're sort of you know, going, going through those feedback loops to improve. So we can always make it better. But yeah, getting it launched is, was the biggest challenge because I think like um, an owner, that you're kind of, you're never happy, right? You're you always want the perfect example to go out exactly. to. You, yeah. Exactly. And you're never going to be happy, but you get to a point where you realise actually, rather than trying to guess what people think or what people want, you need to just get it out there and actually ask them the question. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, you see so many business owners just not wanting to kind of get their product out to market. Because, it's your baby, isn't it? Yeah, like, they want it to be perfect, but then they just take so long and suddenly the competition's already bought theirs out. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it, that, that, that's the hardest part. But there's been many early mornings, late nights for years. I mean, this is, whilst we've only launched a few months, it, it took us three years to launch. You know, it's hard yards. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what would you say the biggest risk to your business is at the moment? And um, what are you doing to mitigate? Competition, I guess, is always a risk for, for any business. And I think we do have some quite nice natural barriers is that the lenders we work with, you know, they don't publish criteria. It is still relationship-led. So the gathering of the criteria that, that underpins the platform yeah. has taken, well, really decades, right? So there's, there's myself. There's, yeah. Exactly. There's myself. There's others in the business that have worked in the industry. That, that have spent years or their, you know, their whole adult life, you know, building the relationships and the knowledge that, that sits behind the platform. So I think there is like a nice sort of natural barrier in that respect. I guess economic, the, you know, if house prices were to crash, then that would be a risk because, but always, it's always a good time to buy land is when house price, when prices crash, right? Because 
again, you're two years away from delivery. So actually, what's nice about development is it's counter-cyclical to pretty much any other part of the property market in that actually when prices are going down, that's a good time to buy your, your land. Whereas for anything else that you want to wait till you get to the bottom and then sort of and, and wait till it's coming up the other side, whereas you've got almost the inverse is true with development. And I mean, you sounded quite positive in terms of the property market going forward. Um, and obviously kind of saying things like interest rates will have to stay low to allow the government to kind of inflate its debt away and things like that. What would have to happen to change your mind on that? So, for example, maybe what would have to happen for the government to actually raise rates or what would have to happen for the market to sort of not tank, but drop? It's all about confidence, isn't it? So I think you would need... So, I mean, if you look back at the, the financial crash in 2007, 2008, you had a big bank go under and that paralysed the credit markets. And there doesn't seem to be any danger of that this time around. So it's not going to be that, but it could be something else. And, and COVID was obviously the black swan event that kind of caused the world to tip into a global recession. But I do think a lot of pain hasn't yet come out of that, right? So we're all sort of suckling on the state teat, if you like, for, you know, we're, we're all on life support, right? But, you know, there's furlough, there's loads of different things. Which, for the record, I, I think he's a huge admi- admiration of the government for doing all of these things, because I think they, you know, people have obviously slipped through the cracks and they'll always be winners and losers, but they've definitely done the right thing. And, and actually it was them setting that kind of benchmark, which then encouraged lenders to do the same right because normally in in the sort of downturns or you know where where people haven't been paying rents and landlords haven't been able to make mortgage payments there'd be a lot more foreclosure it's keeping liquidity liquidity in the market it was the key thing and the key difference for me than kind of 2008 thing and which i think yeah you're you're right they've done a fantastic job It, it set the standard didn't it it's you know so look we're 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 gonna help people and and you know residential mortgages you know push lenders into you know giving people that three month six month mortgage holiday if they needed it that then fed through to the commercial side as well so we've seen nothing like the sort of distress that you saw previously and some would argue it's almost better to have that kind of everything full and then start building back up. Whereas now we've got this kind of prolonged yeah. um, period of kind of stasis of where we're not sure whether the next move is going to be up or down. I think, you know, we've got this prolonged um, period of movement now where it could be up, it could be down. But I think there's still a lot of pain to come, I think is, is what um, my message is here. And I think what, you're, what you'll find is certainly in Q2, Q3, Q4 of this year, you're, I think you will start to see more opportunities. And the reason I think that, there's a lot of people that you know buy for plan and gain, have no intention to develop, and perhaps they've been stalled. Their opportunities have been stalled. Their, their planning's taken longer. They took a bridge, perhaps, to secure the opportunity. They're now coming to the end of the bridge. The bridging lenders already extended once because you know that was kind of the atmosphere last year, whereas now they're sort of getting to... A point where perhaps prices are coming off a little bit, the heat heat's coming off, and they're they're higher leverage, and they they want out. So you're going to start to see, I think, opportunities come to to market for developers because you'll see these landowners that perhaps had a a sort of 
rose-tinted view of the market pre-COVID now coming to market and realizing actually they can't get the prices that they thought they could and they're having to be they're a distressed seller because they've got pressure on the lender side as well. Um, so I do think you'll, you'll start to see some opportunities in later on in the year. Great. Well, that's been really, really interesting. Thank you very much. And I'll make sure we put a link in the show notes for BrickFlow as well. Thanks, mate. I definitely suggest uh, if you are looking at any developments to certainly have a look at that. And it's very easy to use. Plug, plug your sort of details in and it does the rest for you. The other thing is there's no charge, which is great because I think you put a, a fee down, which is more if you want to take it to underwriting, isn't it? And you get that back once you get the deal through. So. Exactly, yeah. So the way it works is that there's, you can get your, you can do your search. So that, yeah, there's no subscription. You do your search. Um, you get your head to terms back from lenders. So do the search. You then fill out the, the sort of additional information that lenders need. So your schedule, your experience, your, your development appraisal, et cetera. You then sort of get your head to terms back. There's no charge for any of that. If you want to go to credit approval, then there is a charge. We charge £995, but that's really just to stop tyre kickers. You know, you, it, there's a lot of work that goes into that part, our side, lender side. So it's about, you know, stopping people that perhaps haven't secured the site. Yeah. And, um, but that money comes back if the loan isn't agreed or on completion. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so, so there is, is, it is a commitment fee. There is no risk. It all comes back if you actually do what you say you're going to do. So Exactly, yeah. So we get a commission from the lender and that's, that's how we're remunerated. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes and thanks so much, Ian, for coming on. It's been a really, thanks, really interesting discussion. And yeah, loads of Sorry about my cleaner diving in. That's all right. Well, I thought she had some really good points. Thanks so much. That's all for this episode. But please remember to subscribe or follow on your podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave a rating or a review. Subscribing and reviewing really does help to increase our rankings, which in turn helps us to keep getting fantastic guests on the show. And more importantly, it also means that you won't miss an episode. Huge thanks for listening.